Today we begin a two-part series on the highly requested subject of Ivan Millet. On today's show, we'll discuss the discovery of seven bodies, all found brutalized in the same forest in New South Wales, Australia. We'll take a look at the police investigation and the evidence that led them to Ivan's brother. We'll also discuss why people like Millet are the exact reason why you should never go camping. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought Australia was only famous for kangaroos, fosters, and shrimp on the barbie, stick around. Tonight's sadistic tale from the penal colony will have you rethinking your trip to the outback. This is Necronomapod. A jogger found the first traces of his reign of terror in 1992 with the discovery of two bodies, British women, Joanne Walters and Caroline Clark. A year later, more bones were found, those of Melbourne couple Deborah Everest and James Gibson. Then, a month later, police unearthed the remains of German backpacker Simone Schmiedel. We have every reason to believe it is connected to the other four bodies. And finally, the remains of Anya Habsheed and her boyfriend Gaba Nugabaya. All seven victims were tortured to death, strangled, shot and stabbed. Some were raped, one was decapitated. One man survived, British backpacker Paul Onions. Brother Dave, happy Easter. The Lord has risen. <laughs> oh, I thank you, Michael. Oh, happy day, right? How are you celebrating? I'm going to have a little ham, maybe some Easter candy. Uh, that's about it. We used to potato, go to, we used some potato salad, of course. Of course. I mean, you have to, right? With mustard, without mustard in the mm, I, do like, I like the mustard in the potato salad. Absolutely. I need more macaroni salad on Easter, though. Ooh. I'm not a macaroni salad fan. That's, it's okay. I'll eat it. A big potato salad fan. We used to go to the Chinese buffet every year for Easter dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Atheist uh, Easter dinner. Mm. Fantastic. What might a young Dave put on his plate at a Chinese buffet? It's <laughs> mm, a good question. The one we in town here has crab legs, so lots of crab legs. All right. Some sweet and sour pork, some crab rangoon, perhaps. Wow. Well, we've done it again. I'm starving, and we're 30 <laughs> seconds into this fucking show. Okay. Do you know. ever hit up the American section of the Chinese buffet? I do not, Because no. I do, and I find that it is the shittiest of foods, but it also sometimes tastes so good. Like, the pizza looks I, I don't think so fake, true. but <laughs> it, it tastes awesome. Their chicken wings, so overcooked. Amazing. <laughs> I don't believe that. hundred uh, percent. You should try it sometime. I will never try that. No. You absolutely <laughs> should. You're paying $8 for a fucking buffet. You, should, you can spare one plate of American food. There's only so much room in my belly, and I'm not going to waste it on this nonsense Pally, that you're please. talking about. Pally, good for You're good for four plates at least. Come on. <laughs> Come on. That's true. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody eating the American food. At, yeah, it's oh, the same thing. It's, it's like 10 years old. He's eating it. He's yeah. like, oh, it's delicious. Yo, it's the I same thing as Speedway hot dogs yeah. or taquitos, wherever well, the fuck. You're on a line. Now you're on a line. <laughs> now you've crossed a line, Pally. Oh, taste. All right. So I got a question for you guys. Right. Favorite Easter candy. What is it? It's all... Candy always hits a little different at Easter and Halloween. There's different brands, different gimmicks. I know a lot of times it's the same stuff, just wrapped differently. What is like your Easter go-to? I'd say the the Reese eggs. The, so the probably the most popular one, the yeah. Reese eggs. That's your thing, yeah. I like the little the little Butterfinger eggs with the little. There's the 
oh, the round yeah. chocolate eggs, yeah. the, the Butterfinger ones. I had, a those bag, are good. I had a bag of those the other day. Yeah? yeah. You know what else has grown on me in the... Uh, <laughs> you get a whole bag in one sitting? No, not in one sitting, oh, but wow. I bought two bags the other like, day. Yeah, I ate the whole thing. <laughs> I ate two Chipotle burritos and then I ate a whole bag. <laughs> sitting in my bed. <laughs> Just happy as a clam. <laughs> uh, a big fan. I, I'm not a big jelly bean fan, but I love the Starburst jelly beans. Mm. Real good. Big fan. Dave, what say you? I, I, I like those Cadbury eggs that are yeah. stuffed with something. Which with with which stuffing, though? Because there's like the caramel, there's the cream. I think there's a chocolate one. The cream or the, the cream, caramel. I like the cream the best. Mm. Yeah, cream you or get, caramel. Like, it oozes down your lip like oh, a yeah. good it looks cum, like you just like came a good out of a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks like you just took a mouthful. <laughs> but it tastes so damn good. I mean, am I right, men and women? Those are delicious. It's awesome. But I also just like their big regular chocolate bunny and... Just start fucking biting the ears. ears. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious. I like the hollow ones for whatever reason. Okay. So all the chocolate falls inside because yeah. that's what fucking happens. It just falls right. into that little pit. And they have those like shitty candy eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I like those ones. Tin foil that doesn't quite come all the way off. So you just <laughs> you chew it until you bite it and it fucking hurts like a bit. Sticks in your filling. <laughs> yeah. Right. Lights up your nerve. Why don't they have Jesus candy? Like that's what the reason for the season, right? Isn't he the reason for every season, though, Dave? I, some people say so, Mike. Yeah. But they should have, like, Jesus on a cross chocolate candy, and you eat it like the Easter Bunny. Like, yeah. you, you bite off his head, and, like, doesn't be cool, right? Yeah. Doesn't Mally's have crosses and shit? Oh, I don't know. Do that? I think so. Mally's is a local chocolate uh, yeah. company. Big here in the Cleveland area. Delicious fucking chocolates. Yeah. Also, all candies. They have great gummy worms and bears and all that shit. Good yeah. stuff. I like the gummy stuff, too. I like gummy stuff. Yeah. Mm. So I had some gummy octopuses the other day. Really? Yeah, I found at the gas station. Wouldn't that be octopi? <laughs> Wait a minute. This motherfucker just made fun of me for having Speedway hot dogs. He's eating gummy octopus. You found it at the gas station, which literally have probably been there for five years. The, the, the same brand is all like, what is that brand? The nobody buys that stuff the, the ones that make like the no, sour I, gummy, gummy yeah. worms we yeah. all know what you mean no one yeah. buys the stuff that's under the register that no one buys we all look at we I rub buy. our feet on when we're sitting at the counter it just sits <laughs> it's there candy though it's not weird pizza that's been sitting on no it. no no. i never said pizza that, that's uh, from the buffet yeah gas station it's hot dogs and taquitos okay so Please. hot dogs have been can you imagine there. eating a fucking taquito from speedway <laughs> no i will buy you the buffalo chicken one and you will love it guaranteed i will not put that you would 100 percent love it you would love it all right well that was my uh lead-in we have one of our most popular requested topics from dave all you, you got a bunch of pa- fans and uh pals in the land down under right yeah yeah it's uh, one of their hometown heroes if you will They've been wanting this one for a while. Yeah. Over, overly generous with the hero term because this guy's a real piece of shit. Well, it, it is a what a penal colony. Well, it's in their DNA. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> this guy, though, man, this guy's fucking terrifying. It also took us. Let's just, you know, pull back the curtain for a bit, like five or ten minutes to figure out how to fucking say his name. We didn't know if it was Malat <laughs> or Millet. Yeah. It's, and I think it just depends on your accent. You like Malat, Malat. Yeah, it's like somewhere between Malat and Malat, like between the E and the A. But there's not that vowel sound doesn't really exist in our language. We needed to get like a you sound, need that accent. We need a sound clip of Crocodile Dundee just saying Malat, <laughs> and we could play that every time. Just, That's today, not a Malat. This is a Malat. <laughs> today we're covering Ivan Malat, <laughs> and just he pops in. 
So, so I think we got the pronunciation almost there. Yeah. We'll, we'll work on it as we go through. Whiskey, beer, tequila, more beer, more vodka, more whiskey, and more beer. Well, we're ready to go. All right, filled up. Woo. Ian, go ahead. This story starts out in the Blanglo State Forest in New South Wales, Australia, which is a very large forest pushing 10,000 acres. The edge of this forest is about two miles away from the Hume Highway, which is one of Australia's major inner city highways, with the forest sitting between Sydney and Canberra. On September 19, 1992, Ken Seeley and Keith Caldwell went out to the Blanglo Forest to go for a run. Both of these guys belonged to a local club that was dedicated to hiking and extensive runs through areas like the Blanglo Forest. In the early afternoon, they got to an area in the forest that's known as Executioner's Drop because from my understanding, it's just this huge drop that goes down into a gorge. Apparently, it's aptly named for this story as well. Have you, ever, <laughs> have you guys ever seen the movie Wolf Creek, the Australian movie? Yes. It's uh, pretty brutal and you know loosely based on this story, but check it out if you get a chance. Starring Crocodile Dundee in a, <laughs> dark, in a darker role than we're used to seeing him in. I mean, I don't, much darker. Do they have other actors? Like Hugh Jackman, maybe? But he's bigger than that, right? Oh, yeah. This was a, just a small million dollar film, I believe. In they, got, they got Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> For the big ones, they get you. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. So they have two actors. I don't I don't even know Crocodile Dundee's real name. He's just Paul Cro- Hogan. Stop it. I don't want to know. I wasn't asking. It's Crocodile Dundee, motherfucker. <laughs> so a little more than a mile away from Executioner's Drop, there is a, a really large boulder that is, is a marker for this club to stop and record their travels. As they got closer to the boulder, both men started noticing the smell of death, but wrote it off as the corpse of a kangaroo or maybe a dingo. Maybe a dingo ate your baby. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I'm like, what? It was, I was going to say, I'm like, Mike's going to say it, right? <laughs> Who's doing it? <laughs> Asked and answered. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie? That's like, that's a real story. Yeah, no, I've seen Seinfeld. <laughs> That's all I know it from, too. I watched the movie with uh, Meryl Streep's in it. Meryl Streep and Crocodile Dundee. Right? <laughs> takes place know. in the Bella Lango forest. <laughs> no, but it was a true story. Like the, a, a dingo stole a lady's baby and they thought it was her and stuff. I can't remember the specifics, but. Is there actually a line where maybe a dingo <laughs> ate your baby? Like she thought a dingo really did take her baby. Oh. I can't remember the name, but uh-huh. Meryl Streep's. Thanks in the for movie. ruining such a funny line for me. <laughs> Also, when I was writing this outline, I was just imagining like being in a forest, like we're in the metro parks or something here walking around, just fucking kangaroos hanging out. Like that's a casual right. thing. You're like, like, oh, that's just the smell of a dead kangaroo somewhere. Well, it's just to like, be clear, the metro parks here are not a forest necessarily. Well, like it's, it's, yeah. it's a wooded area, but okay. I just don't want people to think that's a forest Ian, to me. And I don't want us <laughs> attached to being a part of a forest because we're not that kind of we're not those kind of men. Some of those forests go back pretty deep, though. I mean, you can get like, lo- you can get lost on it. Again, not a forest, but it's it's there's a it's sure. wo- it's a heavily wooded area. Sure. They um, have and it's like a metro park. Like there's fucking moms rollerblading. You're safe. You're well, safe. Yeah. 
And dads rollerblading. I don't mean to, you know, there's moms and dads rollerblading still, you know, and pushing their little babies in a, uh, you know, one of those little gimmicks, strollers, people call them. <laughs> um, <Those> gimmicks. <laughs> the point is, it's safe. If you say what the so. hell were we talking about? I'm sorry. Uh, dingoes, Mike. Dingoes. dingoes. Well, got to be careful. So once these guys got to the to the boulder, both of them realized that the smell that they were smelling wasn't the normal smell of a dead animal. So they started searching around the area. On the west side of the boulder, the two men found a pile of sticks and leaves where the smell was coming from. On first sight, they could see a bone sticking out and some hair. They were still thinking that an an, that this was an animal. They thought this could have the hair was fur. Once they were standing next to the pile, they saw a shoe and a torn black t-shirt. And the shoe was still on the bone. Like it was clearly someone's foot sticking out of this pile. Mm -hmm. The men reported that the time was 3.45 p.m. And because the top of the forest was so, was so thick, it was going to get dark soon. So they marked the location and continued on their planned route. When they got out of the forest, they called authorities. How about you go call them now and don't continue on your planned route? Yeah. Like, right, let's go finish our jog, and then we'll call the coppers. It's these fucking outdoor people, man. Like, <laughs> heaven forbid you disrupt a hike. Like, yeah. they have to finish this, their trail or whatever. It's kind like, of an emergency, no? Go the fuck home. Yeah. Right, those coppers can wait. Ian and I would be hiking. We'd see, like, a twig in the way. Be like, nah, fuck this. We're going home. Did you guys hear that? You didn't say I had to step over shit. <laughs> That's why we need the metro parks that paved. Paved, yeah. That's right. And even then, like, skeptical. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so by the time police got there, it was dark. So they used torches to get to the spot where the hikers found the body. They put in a call to homicide and Australia's missing persons department because there had been an ongoing investigation into backpackers going missing. When police were able to search the area in daylight, they found a second body about 100 feet away that was partially covered by a log. Later that day, police were able to identify the two victims as Carolyn Clark and Joanna Walters. The two women were British backpackers that had been missing for five months at that point. So does the fact that they still smelled indicate they were held and killed more recently? He killed someone five months ago. I don't think you'd still get that death stench, would you? No. It's hmm. interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would imagine you wouldn't unless there was like some kind of heat, you know, extreme heat that was just making it smell nastier. And but nastier. with animals and. Yeah. Yeah. And the animals would. You would you attract probably more animals the more it smelled. Like there'd be nothing left to break. smell in yeah. five months later. So that's interesting. Yeah. Joanne Walters had been stabbed multiple times in the chest with one stab wound going so deep that it severed her spine. Carolyn Clark had also been stabbed multiple times and shot in the head 10 times, which police theorized because of the angle and how the shots had entered her skull that she had been used as target practice after she was dead. 14 feet away from where Carolyn Clark's body was found, police found six cigarette butts and they were all of the same brand. Not far from those, they found a 22 caliber bullet case, which was recovered, and next to it was a piece of green plastic the size of a large coin. Any DNA testing on the cigarette butts? Do Australians have DNA? Do we know? Is that not, not as of 2000 and 
21. They hadn't developed DNA yet? Yeah. They hadn't developed DNA tests or do they have DNA in their bodies? I, I think both, <laughs> I think is the question. I don't think they understand the question. Okay. <laughs> I speak on behalf of Australia and what's the question? <laughs> I mean, when they founded the penal colony, didn't they... Just get rid of all the we DNA. Have, we have so many cool listeners in Australia. I don't know why I'm shitting on them. Like, they're fucking badass. We do have a lot of cool listeners in Like, Australia. super cool. I like how yeah. we treat them as just, like, like the redheaded stepchild of our listeners. And, like, we just feel like, oh, let's do an Australian show. We could just fucking shit on them. <laughs> Meanwhile, they really are some of the coolest people. Yeah. We say that so that we don't get killed when we go there. Fucking <laughs> strung up in their lawless communities. <laughs> Take us to Catherine Knight's house. Yeah, right. Hang us on the wall yeah. and eat us. I mean, obviously, there's no repercussions. Look at this fucking story. He's <laughs> killing people in the woods. Ballistic specialists searched with metal detectors and found nine more bullet cases 12 feet from Clark's body. Detectives from the ballistics unit were pretty confident that because these, these bullet cases were in good condition, they would be able to identify the gun that fired them. A further 120 feet from the scene, a fireplace had been built from some bricks, which pointed to the killer that that the killer was hanging out in the area for some time. Another detail that they noticed was that all of the camping gear the women had with them was gone. He's not overly concerned with leaving evidence, apparently. No, he's just hanging out, doing whatever he wants. Like, it's an open forest. Anyone could come back there. I assume it's a less traveled part of the forest, right. but still, it's, you know, it's public property. He's back there having a fucking party with himself, you know? Build a fireplace. Yeah, like, if you're doing that in the dark, would you want to make a fire to call attention to yourself? It's kind yeah. of bold. When examining the victim's bodies for physical evidence, investigators found that Joanne's shirt and hands had some small dark hairs on them. She had a cloth used as a gag in her mouth, and there were some other pieces of cloth around her throat, leading investigators to believe that some form of strangulation occurred, even if it didn't kill her. There were no clear signs of her being raped, but due to her body being in significant stages of decomposition, it was hard to be certain, so police ran a rape kit anyways. Joanne's chest showed three stab wounds on the right side, one to the left side, and another stab wound to the neck. On her back, two wounds were found to the left side, five more to the right, and two to the spine at the base of her neck. The internal exam revealed that five of the stab wounds had cut her spine. I mean, so that's extreme violence to be plunging and stabbing and enough to cut your spine. That's really hard. Yeah, and this person knew what they were doing, like what they were trying to do this. That's not easy. I, I just don't think that happens by happenstance. No. They sever someone's spine. Right. Yeah. yeah. Two of her ribs had been totally severed and her hands and arms showed no signs of defensive wounds, which would maybe lead to possibly that she had had her arms restrained in some way. When this was happening, maybe above her head or something like that. Mm -hmm. This, along with the remains of the gag and neck ligature, indicated that the killer was completely in control of this murder. Like, there was no way for her to fight back against this at all. Moving on to Carolyn Clark, her body was found with her arms stretched above her head and she had a red cloth wrapped around her head. She had been shot a total of 10 times in the head with the same 22 caliber gun. 
She had one stab wound to the upper back like Joanne did, and this severed Carolyn's spine as well. So like you said, Mike, somebody that knows what they're doing yeah. as far as... Or had a purpose for what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. Possibly a hunter who's accustomed to this sort of thing. Or a butcher. Yeah. Or a doctor who's familiar with anatomical <laughs> constructs, if you will. Where were the investigators? They needed a guy like Dave. <laughs> the investigators just needed him. He could have given his expert analysis. They could have narrowed this down real quick. Lickety split as they stay. The placement of the bullet wounds and how four of them exited Carolyn's skull led investigators to determine that the killer stood back at some distance and used her for target practice after she died. That is just so beyond depraved and the lack of respect. Yeah, I, I picture it's pretty so he, sadistic. Like Man. he had the fireplace set up. Like I just picture him just hanging out, having a good time, maybe cooking some food on this uh, fireplace. Like that's and, horror movie fucking stuff there and just using a person as yeah mm. in an unusual step professor john hilton the head of forensic medicine released details of the findings to a large group of reporters who had gathered outside the morgue uh, this guy wasn't accustomed to giving media conferences and he spoke real real hesitant about everything even though he was an experienced pathologist and a forensic scientist he was really disturbed by the extent of injuries and just the straight-up brutality of I'm these. sure, yeah. Fuck. Weeks after the discovery of the two bodies, investigators were no closer to finding a suspect. They reached out to a guy named Dr. Rod Milton, who had previously helped police in the hunt and arrest of John Wayne Glover, who strangled six elderly women in 1989. Wait, Australia has a John Wayne... Serial killer, too. <laughs> what might that sound like? <laughs> I sure hope you prepared for this, because now everyone's waiting. <laughs> I was chuckling when I read this. I'm like, oh, John Wayne, you don't say. <laughs> I'm parts from all these killings. I could use a Foster's Pilgrim. <laughs> Something like that, maybe. <laughs> I was sitting here earlier trying to... <laughs> Merged that into an Australian accent. I'm like, it's really bad. I feel like it was just your John Wayne, but louder. But that's okay. It worked. It worked. I could not make that jump to Australian John Wayne. Should have threw in like an oi or something. I don't know. <laughs> Criminy. <laughs> Crocky. Crikey, pilgrim. There you go. Like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> they really are like some of our coolest fans. <laughs> so you've said. So investigators drove Dr. Milton to the Bound Globe Forest because he wanted to see the crime scenes for himself so he could get a feel for the way that the killer had approached the victims. His first thought was that the killer was familiar with the area. Dr. Milton said that Carolyn Clark was killed in a very calculated manner and the way that the red cloth had been wrapped around her head indicated that the killer had done this to depersonalize her. Her clothing was intact except for her bra, which was unclipped. The clothing on her lower body was untouched at the time of death. To Dr. Milton, this indicated that her killing was not sexually motivated, but more in a style of an execution. The single stab wound to her body, he believed, was inflicted after death 
as a final example of the killer's control over the victim or maybe the work of an accomplice. Jesus Christ, all that wasn't enough. Had to get one last fucking stab wound in there. It's, yeah, it's just a... Such overkill. Yeah, this whole case is just nothing but overkill. Mm-hmm. Dr. Milton elaborated on the idea of an accomplice based on Joanne's murder because it showed a different M.O. Joanne's body and burial site indicated rage and just uncontrolled brutality. Dr. Milton said that Joanne's clothing had been half removed, which indicated more of a sexual attack. Her shirt and bra had been pushed up, but the clasp was still fastened. The zipper of her jeans were undone, but the top button was still fastened. Her underwear weren't found on her body or in the area, and Dr. Milton theorized that because her shoes were still on and laced up, and her jeans had not been taken completely off, it was more likely they were pulled down for the killer to commit a sexual assault. And I think we'll see later on in this story that there's still probably some lingering doubts as to whether whether there was accomplices in this whole thing, right? Yeah, I mean, based on this information here, it is like two completely different styles of murder. What do they mean by, so because her underwear wasn't found on her body... So they're just assuming she wasn't wearing underwear and then he just pulled down. Probably pulled down her jeans and ripped them off or cut them off. I gotcha. Maybe kept them for a trophy or something. Got it. Dr. Milton said that in his opinion, the motive was for pleasure. He believed that if there were two killers involved, one would be older and dominant. The other would be equally sadistic, but more submissive. He said that they could be brothers sharing a common interest in guns and hunting, and had probably been involved in other sexually related crimes, either together or separately. Dr. Milton provided the following profile. The killer lived on the outskirts of a city in a semi-rural area, was employed in a semi-skilled job, probably outdoors, would be involved in an unstable or unsatisfactory relationship, have a history of homosexuality or bisexual activity, have a history of aggression against authority, and be aged in his mid-30s. Casting a wide net. I yeah, guess, a little bit. I guess. A little bit. Well, they can't be all FBI researchers we have here in uh, you know, True. the States. True. We got the experts here. Right. The, the, the fact that he pulled out the whole brother thing in this, was, we're going to see later on in this, especially in part two, that's... Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? That he said if they, if, um, in the paragraph above it, Dave, when he said, <laughs> oh, could be. sorry, I was looking at the list. Yeah, I got you. That they could be brothers. I think that's what leads to some of the lingering questions to this day. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it, these are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, 
all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Necro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As the case grew cold, a man named Bruce Pryor paid very close attention to any news reports regarding the case. Bruce had grown up in the area, and the Blangelo Forest was a place that he traveled through regularly gathering firewood. Was that legal? Free firewood? I guess so. You get a fucking probably $1,000 fine over here going, <laughs> yeah. going in the forest. There's no rules. Wood. No rules over there, pal. Yeah, Penal. you can't just go chopping down trees over no, here. You'd ripping. be getting handcuffed. Penal colony? Say okay. Yeah, Sounded like all right, it. Dave. Yeah. There you go. like it over there. Let's go over there. You, you need wood? Go take a tree. It's fantastic. <laughs> go take a tree. I mean, they might, <laughs> the owner of the property might shoot you, but it's lawless. Like, you, don't, you just don't know. It's kill or be killed over there. That's not for me. It's a dog eat dog world. It's clearly <laughs> not for me. It's 100% not for me. If we ever should find ourselves in Australia, I'll be staying at like, you know, whatever their equivalent of the Ritz is or something. Yeah. It's probably the Ritz. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's the Ritz. <laughs> right, mate. You're at the Ritz. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Do they have a Ritz in Australia? I, I imagine they do. Probably not, though. It's like a Super 8. You know what we should do? You know the whole conspiracy thing about whether birds are real? Yeah. We should create our own, like, whether Australia is real or not. Like, pe- like Australian that. people are not real. So what are they? <laughs> I don't know. Just government robots? I don't know. Some. It's like, it's like Westworld or something. Yeah. That's what the bird thing is, right? That they're they're drones, like government drones. Yeah, they're not so real Austra- birds all don't Australians exist. are just drones. Yeah, it's like Westworld. How dare you guys? <laughs> we have good, decent listeners over there. I'm not saying they're you're bad. Calling they're them great not, people. You're calling them not people. You're calling them not people, sir. <laughs> I think they're still great, but maybe they're not real. Maybe Australia's not real. Wow, you heard it here, folks. I, I am appalled. <laughs> I'm appalled. Shame. Double shame. You're the doodle guy. Can you draw us up a Is Australia Real shirt we could get on Amazon tomorrow? 
I will not partake in that. <laughs> They're fine people. They and they they may or may not have a Ritz. I don't I don't know. They're fine something. They just might not be people. They might be robots. <laughs> they might be androids. They might be drones. Maybe so. Let's look, let's look into it further. Okay. So in October of 1993, Bruce went to the forest as usual. He went to an area known as the Maurice Fire Trail and eventually came to a T-shaped intersection. He knew that to the right would lead him to a trail called Kearley's Exit Fire Trail, but he had never gone to the left. Heading to the left opened into a bare rocky area where a small fireplace had been built out of rocks. About 150 feet away from the fireplace, Bruce found a large bone that he thought could be a kangaroo bone, but looked really human. So he held it up to his own thigh for comparison, then put it back on the ground. He walked further into some weeds and found a human skull. Unsure of what to do, he picked up the skull and wrapped it in a cloth and then took it out of the forest to his truck. Unsure of what to do. I'm pretty sure that that's not the correct course of action there. <laughs> no. That's part of what Jesus, got Casey dude. Anthony off. I was going to say, that's the Casey yeah. Anthony guys moving the body around that he found. I love the uh, vigilante forensic investigators that are going around here holding the thigh bone up to his. Like, <laughs> yeah, this, this, is is that. this is a fit. <laughs> this, this makes sense. <laughs> You know, so we should be making fun. We should not be laughing at this. Like this is, it is sad, but no, it's awful. But who's just picking up bones? Like, who yeah, does don't that? don't touch bones. Like, if I saw a skull, I'd be like, All right, even call the police now. Even if I was ninety nine percent sure it was fake, I'd get the fuck out of there. Like, I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't be messing with it. Mm -mm. Like so far in the story, it leads me to believe like the whole land of Australia is just bones everywhere because people don't seem. Like the joggers are like, ah, we'll go finish our jog. Then we'll tell the police later. This guy's taking the skull with him. Like everything's no big deal. Like, well, they all think it's kangaroo bones. There's bones so everywhere. Far. But does that mean there's are kangaroo there, bones how everywhere? How many fucking the dead kangaroos are there in Australia? <laughs> I have so many questions about this are now. Are kangaroos real? We've all established that Australian people are not real. But My favorite picture real? ever of a kangaroo is the one that's Nate diaz Oh, the one that's all flexing. Have you seen that I, I think I have. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Nate Diaz. Yeah, I didn't realize. That's the other thing I didn't realize about kangaroos is that they're really fucking strong. Like a kangaroo. Yeah, I would not fuck fucking you up. I would not box yeah. a kangaroo. No. Yeah. Kangaroo will fuck you up from. Yeah. What I saw online. I love to see it, too. It's great. <laughs> I, I mean, I would absolutely. I love watching kangaroos fuck humans up. <laughs> Stupid ass humans. Like, you can go fuck with a kangaroo. You're going to nope. get fucked. But, you know, I'm not doing it. You'll not find me at the Outback unless it's a steakhouse. <laughs> that place is not good. No, it's not a steakhouse, and nor is it good. I mean, it's called Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> That's a misnomer. Yeah. So 30 minutes later, the police arrived, and they asked Bruce to lead him to where he found the skull. About 120 feet from where he found the skull, police found the skeletal remains of two bodies. The bones were scattered around by animals, but they were able to determine that one was female and one was male. Using dental records from the missing persons unit, police were able to determine that the remains were from James Gibson and Deborah Everest. The two had gone missing in 1989, and police were initially very confused by the location of the remains because Gibson's camera had been found on December 31st, 1989, in his backpack on March 13th, 1990, by the side of a road in a Sydney suburb. 
75 miles away. Is he trying to complicate the trail here? That's what I was reading earlier. That's what people Seems like police it, yeah. were thinking. Like, like throw people off. Mm-hmm. Gibson's skeleton showed a stab wound through his upper spine that cut upwards through three vertebrae. This wound would have left him instantly paralyzed. Two stab wounds had punctured his breastbone with cuts to the ribs, indicating two or more stab wounds to the left and right sides of the front of his chest and two more in the upper back. Seven major wounds were detected on his skeleton, but many more could have happened without touching bone. I think we'll talk about this more later, but this idea that he was paralyzing people is just absolute nightmare fuel. Yeah. And leaving them there for how long and whatnot. But I think anyone who's ever had Holy sleep paralysis shit. could even think about what it's like, first of all, to be, not be able to move. Second of all, to think about that a man did this to you and now you're watching him uh, move around and do other terrifying. things while you can't yeah. move. Like that's this is a whole different level of brutality that we've never really talked about before. It's a lot for sure between this and the target practice stuff. I mean, and it, it's it just seems like, you know, this guy knew what he was doing. Right. Like this was his his M.O. to like just do this to these people. Yeah. yeah so far, Deborah had been severely beaten. Her skull was fractured in two places. Her jaw was broken and there were knife marks on her forehead. She had also been stabbed once in the back. Further searching the crime scene led police to finding a black bra with a stab through it and gray leggings that were tied into a loop, probably used as a restraint. Superintendent Clive Small was ordered by Commissioner of Police Tony Lauer to take over control of the investigation. The investigation was officially named Task Force Air. Small appointed Detective Inspector Rod Lynch as his second in command. Lynch's job was to set up and coordinate the Sydney headquarters of the investigation, while Small, based near the forest, would oversee the on-site investigation. Lynch began recruiting detectives for the task of following up on many of thousands of pieces of information that had already been received from the public. And then the next thing was to set up a public hotline with the media that the media would promote and would ask the general public for any information regarding the murders. It sounds vaguely reminiscent of the Chickatillo case with the, I don't know, I sense some politics involved here and trying to put together a task force. Not, not wanting to announce. Not wanting to. That there's probably a serial killer. Right, right, right. Which is a smart way to go, right? Like, you don't want to cause, like, a, a major fear. Depends, right? but then people aren't on the lookout either. They don't have their guard up like or, they would. But also, you don't also want to give away. Forest. You don't want to, well, that's just being generally <laughs> understood. Don't go in the fucking forest. <laughs> Not give away any any clues or tips or hints. Someone's going to talk at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's give a that judgment away. call, I'm sh- for sure. Oh, Chickatilla. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't reminiscent of that, but right. Small called off the search of the forest for several days so he could view maps and surveys of the area and plan a more expansive search. He divided a map of the main forest into grids, every inch representing 750 square feet. Forty officers walked each grid side by side, combing every inch of the forest floor. If anything of interest was found, they would shout find, and scientific police would come take photographs, mark the position, and bag any evidence found. They were also helped by teams of cadaver dogs that had been used extensively in the United States to find old Civil War graves. 
So they were bringing out the big guns for to figure this out. That's that's pretty neat. The whole cadaver dogs to find old unmarked Civil War graves. I'd like to learn more about that. I think. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, I didn't yeah. either. I'm gonna look into that. I'm gonna see if there's any that's books on that. That's yeah, neat. What they found so far and stuff. I'm sure there's tons of mass graves after the bat. I mean, well, sure. Like, you know. I wonder how many books there are about it, or if it's you know yeah, just gonna wonder. be little clippings in different books. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna look, look into that. That's neat. Curb your enthusiasm. The cadaver dog when they buy the restaurant. Remember that season two? Mm. God damn. Well, now never mind. <laughs> Dave doesn't remember. Sorry. If Ian doesn't get my office jokes and you don't get my curb your enthusiasm <laughs> jokes, why the fuck am I even here? <laughs> Jesus. Bullets and shell casings taken from the second crime scene were identified as being from a Ruger repeating rifle. And police learned that around 50,000 of these guns had been imported into Australia between 1964 and 1982. The manufacturers provided a list of their distributors in Australia, who in turn provided a list of the gun shops who had purchased them. Gun shops were required by law to keep a record of each gun sold, but there were no legal requirements for any private sales of the guns. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> sounds about the same as here. That all changed, though. And Australia had a, you know, a massacre in 1990, the middle 90s, 96, I think. And they overhauled all their gun laws. And it's not that easy to get guns in Australia anymore. We have those once a week here, but <laughs> it's a big deal there. But, uh, yeah. Much stricter these days. A list of all Ruger rifles owned by residents in the area surrounding the forest was made with the intention of confiscating the rifles for testing to find a match. This plan was leaked to the press, which really pissed off investigators because they're like, great, now the killer's just going to dump this gun. Just like uh, Diane Feinstein out there in San Francisco telling Richard Ramirez they knew what shoes he was wearing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, better go throw yeah. those off the bridge. Not going to be wearing those anymore. <laughs> Members of a local gun club were contacted and their weapons were tested. One of the members told detectives that a friend of his named Alex Millette had witnessed something suspicious in the forest the previous year. Police later contacted Alex Millette, who gave them a very accurate description of two vehicles, one a Ford sedan and the other a four-wheel drive truck that he had seen driving down one of the trails into the forest. He told them that as the first vehicle passed him, he looked in and saw a man driving, and in the back seat were two other men. Between them was a female with a cloth tied around her head like a gag. In the second vehicle were two men, one driving and the other sitting in the back next to another female who was also bound. He gave police detailed descriptions of all the occupants, including clothing and approximate ages. He stated at the time he had written down the details of the license plate number of the second vehicle on a scrap piece of cardboard, but had lost it. He didn't want to let anyone know back then, maybe, what was going on? This is really odd right off the bat. Yeah. You pulled all those details out just passing a car. Like, even if something looked weird to me, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell you the clothing, the age of the person. Very like, specific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit detailed. I noticed that his last name was Mallette. <laughs> Is he related at all to... He could be. Okay. <laughs> just, just wondering. Mm. 
police were reaching their last area of the forest to search when on November 1st, 1993, investigators found a pair of pink women's jeans and a piece of blue and yellow rope. Next to them was an empty 22 caliber bullet box. Moving forward, they found more articles of clothing, empty cans with bullet holes, a piece of wire bent into loops, bullet cases, and empty bottles. At the edge of the clearing, they found what was now considered to be a calling card of the killer, which was a fireplace made out of rocks. Yeah, he's a little party with himself. He's just hanging out. Building a fire, (laughs) chilling. Drinking some beers. Shooting at cadavers. No big deal. Not long after, investigators found the skeletal remains of a missing German backpacker, Simone Schmidl. Her body was found still partially dressed with her shirt and bra pushed up around her neck. A pair of green shorts hung onto the pelvis with the cord ties undone. And several items of jewelry and two coins were found next to her body. The pink jeans were not Simone's, but matched the description of a pair worn by another German girl, Anja Hobschied. She and her boyfriend, Gabor Neugebauer, had been missing since December 1991. Examination found no injuries to Simone's skull. Her chest and back showed numerous stab wounds to the left and right sides and stab wounds to her spine, which had severed her spinal column completely. The spinal cord stuff. Fuck. Brutal. It's terrifying. It's a different kind of it's like a evil hunter. It just it's yeah. We haven't touched on this ever before, I don't think. Like just someone who goes after something like this. And it's you know, we've talked about a lot of terrible things, and this is this is terrible too, and this is just something different, like paralyzing someone like that. And letting it go on for God knows how long. Yeah, I mean it's a next level kind of thing. Well, we said those pink jeans didn't belong to Simone and they resembled a pair of another missing woman. A few days later on November 4th, 1993 investigators found the skeletal remains of two more victims, Anja Heibschied and Gabor Neugebauer from Germany. Gabor's skeleton was complete with the remains of decayed clothing, including a pair of jeans with the zip opened and the top button fastened. His mouth had two gags, one that had been tied across the mouth using a reef knot, and the other had been placed in the mouth prior to the other being tied. This stood out to investigators because they were tied using two different knots, which makes no sense. We had another story like that with multiple different kinds of knots, didn't we? Wasn't that West Memphis 3? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Look at you, Mike. Trivia. What? You guys what? fucking ask me that. <laughs> when what story were there multiple knots? No, you guys fucking ask... To the exact penny, what did D.B. Cooper ask for in money before he fucking jumped out of a plane? 200 grand. Who doesn't yeah. know that? But you I asked guess. to a penny and it was also like 14 cents or something like that. 14 cents. The people agreed with me. All right. Note to self. Uh, mark off West Memphis 3 questions for <laughs> no. Mike. Next trivia show. His skeleton had a fractured hyoid bone in the throat, which is usually found when manual strangulation occurs. His jaw was fractured in several places, and his skull showed six bullet entry wounds, three from the left rear and the others from the lower right rear. Investigators found no fired bullet cases near the body, and the angle of the entry wounds versus the exit wounds indicated that seven bullets had been fired into his skull. When found, the skull had been lying on its side, 
but after searching the ground under the grave, no fired bullets were recovered, which showed investigators that Gabor had not been killed at the grave site. More target practice, though. Yeah. Ugh. Anja's skeleton was complete besides her skull was missing. Her shirt and bra were bunched up around the shoulders and no lower clothing was found on or near her body. Examination of her spine showed that her head had been severed by a very sharp weapon, possibly a machete or sword. The angle of the cut indicated that she had probably been in a kneeling position with her head down when the cut was made. So like a straight up execution so alive yeah Oof. why did people want us to cover this one again why were they so <laughs> into this one because people aren't real in australia <laughs> so they have no soul <laughs> why else would they ask us to talk about this so now what was standing out to investigators most was the fact that seven victims had died in relatively different ways they had either been beaten, strangled, shot, stabbed, or now decapitated, and almost certainly sexually assaulted in some way, both male and female. And they were basing this off that all the male victims, when they had, when the pants were found, they had the zipper undone just like mm. the women, but the button was still fastened. Based on the fireplaces and more bullets and litter found at each scene, like the the amount of shit that was found kept escalating. They theorized that whoever was doing this was getting more comfortable and spent more time with the victims as the as the crimes progressed. Maybe that's where the paralysis comes in. Keep them alive longer. I mean, just cut that spinal cord. They'll lay there for days, right? Yeah. And keep that party going. Mm, that's just something else. You can't move. There's nothing you can do. It's not like you can kill yourself right. or finish yourself off. Well, I get it. Just yeah. laying there with your eyes open. That's terrifying. Police officially announced to the media that they were now searching for a serial killer. And this news spread worldwide. That's when a man named Paul Onions came forward about an experience he had while backpacking in the Sydney area. And that is where we will pick back up on part two. What the fuck, Ian? I was just getting into this one. <laughs> So in other words, we'll be peeling back the layers of Mr. Onion's story next week. That's what I heard there. There might not be a dry eye in the house. Can we fry him and dip him in some sauce? Be like Outback over if here? If he's blooming. Sure. God damn. I'm not showing up next week unless there's a blooming onion in studio. Jesus. Just let it be known. I might just bring one and plop it down here. And I guarantee you both fucking eat and dip into that. No onion. one says the onion's not good, <laughs> yeah, dude. Fucking it's good. steaks that aren't good. It's good. No one, well, no, blooming one, onion house. no one goes to Outback and says, I'm here for the steak. You go for the well, fucking blooming you know? onion and like the tall beers that are $2. Are they on uh, DoorDash? Maybe I'll have a blooming onion delivered for you. I don't know. I, isn't everything on DoorDash at this point? It's a pandemic. They should be. If they were smart business, they would be. I believe so. DoorDash really fucked me a couple times ago. You oh, yeah. Your that. Chipotle yeah. incident. Yeah. Fucking assholes. Yeah. They still owe me 20 bucks, DoorDash. You fuckers. Wow. Look at them. <laughs> calling them out. Calling them out. Jerks. Rude customer service people. I see how you are. Fuck you, DoorDash. It's Uber Eats for this podcast. God damn right. <laughs> We're an Uber Eats podcast now. <laughs> Motherfuckers. Well, that's a good lead into uh, next week. Yeah, definitely. Whew. Definitely the same person doing this, but 
I think there's a lot of evidence that points towards two. That is crazy to this day. Same. Story about Ivan Millet. Didn't even say, his, even didn't even say his name. <laughs> <laughs> and haven't even mentioned him. That's all right. Well, have we ever done that before? Not that I know of. Wow. Just mentioned his poor brother, Alex. Maybe not so poor. Well, we'll see. <laughs> well, we figured out that Australia doesn't exist, so. Well, it's true. We're on, we might be on to something. We'll see what happens, where it goes. Who knows? So are any final thoughts on part one of Ivan Millet? It's I, only the third time we've said his name all night. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly didn't know much about this guy at all going into this. I mean, I, I knew of the backpacker murders, like, because that's mm-hmm. what the name he's given or stuff. But I didn't know much about it. The level of brutality, really. It's fucked up. It's, it's off the diff- charts. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something it's different than, you know, we've covered the rapes. We've covered the kill to drink the bloods, the kills just to get off. To like paralyze someone and just watch them die or it's, let them die. It's like Albert Fish level kind of yeah. sadism, I think. But it, but it's even still different, though, it's right? Different. Like it's just something we haven't touched on yet. Like you know, we found a new way to fucking shock and awe all yeah, of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just fucking terrorizing someone's spinal cord. That's crazy. You'd either, and it, I don't know. In my mind, it's like you would either need to really know what you were doing. Or just stab really, really hard to accomplish that, or maybe both. But I could guess. you do that that yeah. many times if you didn't know what you were doing? Do you yeah, think? You like, I to. feel like you would you would know what you were doing if it was that consistent. Yeah, it's fair because every per, every one of the victims had it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're gonna have a part two on this joyous topic. Thanks, Australia. There is one detail that I do know for part two that involves a PlayStation. All right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good little wrap up to this whole story. All right. Interesting. Come back next week, folks. That's how we get you to come back. (laughs) All right. Well, let's jump into some patron shout outs. Are you not going to go to me for my final thoughts? Well, I opened it to everybody. I didn't just ask Ian. You you let Ian speak and you passed me over. By all means, the floor is yours. One, I would say check out Wolf Creek, loosely based on this. It's a great movie. Two, I think we discovered that Australia has never existed. That was a penal colony of our mind. (laughs) I'm going to search out the truth and find out why people in Australia aren't really people. I almost feel like we should make this a uh, a thing every week. Like three things Dave learned today. Mm. One, you know, blah, 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 blah. Two, Australia is not real. (laughs) Three, you just forgot the first thing he said. (laughs) Whatever he mumbled. No, he talked about Wolf Creek. I understand, but... I just meant in general. I feel like maybe Dave should give us his three like takeaways from every show moving My forward. My TIL at the end of yeah. the show. Like, okay. Ian gives his final thought because he's the one who actually does the research. Dave gives his three takeaways. And then, uh, you know, we'll move on like to it. schmucks like me just giving uh, shout outs. I'm going to investigate this conspiracy theory. and I'll, yeah. I'll report back. So watch Wolf Creek. Australia might not be real. And what was your third takeaway? It doesn't. It can be something you learned or just takeaways from the show. What was number three you said? You said something. I uh, don't remember what I said. I don't remember what you I said. I was looking up Australian slang for the show, and I learned that a bogan is like a just a redneck hillbilly. Oh. An uncultured redneck hillbilly. So people would call me a bogan. You're like a bogan. Yeah. Sure. There, see, another takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's like learn new things. Dave's takeaways. I like it. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got. All right. Uh, I have like a... a 
extremely long list of patrons. So this is good news for us, I guess. And also thank you very much to these new patrons. Let's see the over under or how many of these names I butcher. It's hey. been a it's been a day for old, half. for old Mike underscore Namapod. Means I'm shit faced. <laughs> oh, we know what it means. Yeah, well they might not. You guys do. Fucking talking about Outback Steakhouse. Clearly I'm hammered. <laughs> <clears throat> thank you very much to new patrons, Catherine Men- Mendez, Josiah Fiala, Hands Free Poltergoo, Jenny Green, Tara Rue, Ryan Robertson, Luke Newcomb six six six. What'd you say? Uh, Alicia. Allie Shell. Allie Shell, Amanda Parks, North Griffey, Stacy, Ben Davis, Ashley Moo, Samantha Zaziski, Tiffany Goodard, Chad B411, Melanie Kuiper, Beth Meigland, Melissa Skinner, Kylie Wright, Come Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been one of Mike's college girlfriends joining Patreon. Welcome back. Come Forever. <laughs> Finally, you're paying for it. <laughs> Rogelio Mendoza, Tori Miller, Nick Yates, Eric Troutman, Serena Halpern, Madeline Ann, Abigail McGee, Alicia A., Just Plain Horrible, Isaiah Barrios, Molly Howley, Melanie, Abby, Emma Anderson, Scott Herring, Sharita, Jody Boyer, Dylan Gibbs, Terry, Zane Wayne Gacy, Maddie, <laughs> you guys over here. <laughs> Maddie, Dave Snell, Tabitha Ruiz, Matthew Mullahan, Shana Wright, Dylan James Williams, Brad L., Brianna Webb, Gabby Casta, Sage Senek, Tiffername, Max Simonchuk, Charlie Dean, Adrian Valdez, Kyle Leonard. Uh, Kyle Larned, Jordan, Shinobi Steele, Trent Dunster, Brooke Summers, Kristen Gamelin, Andrew Springer, Lizzie Whitmarsh, Chels Columbus, Ronald Cushion, Billy Sexton, Morgan. <laughs> that was a what? good one. That was a good pop. <laughs> Billy Sexton, Morgan Scavicchio, Chris Larson, Tiny But Mighty. Caitlin Salinas, Danielle Parks, Chaotic Hobbit, Sarah Davis, Mark DeRosa Sparings, and Daddy Stalin. Thank you all very much. We appreciate your patronage. Uh, that's a long list, and I fucking love reading longer lists every week. Thank you guys very much. Ian, what do you got for us? Before I get into iTunes, I actually just got a message from a patron named Heidi Dean. Her daughter... You just shouted out, named Charlie Dean, just became a patron. Heidi's a patron, too. She asked if we could give an extra shout out to her daughter, Charlie, because she's moving to Iowa or moving from Iowa to the Florida Keys. So shout out. Extra shout out. That's an upgrade. Yeah. (laughs) I like the keys. Now you're talking. Extra shout out to Charlie. So we have generational patrons now? Uh, Yeah. yeah. Are we that old? Fantastic. Are that old? God damn. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. I was talking to Heidi, fucko. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to you. I was congratulating you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ian, what else you got? Then for iTunes, I have one for Killbro Fraggins. (laughs) That's an awesome name. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Flying Monkey Man. 
should be flying squirrel, man. <laughs> That's you. Greatest fucking <laughs> prank of all time. <laughs> Open the door to an upside down dick in your face. Come on. Uh, crime soon. Flem two. Styles nineteen ninety four X. Bama sped teacher. Diego Sasquatch seven one zero. Uh, eight six four five one. Eight six four eight six seven five three zero oh, nine eight six seven five three zero oh, nine eight six four five one two one NBC bobbleheads B three four W Jabney seventy five West Coast South Dakota Sunshine Pistol Bryn's mommy and that is it. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. That's a fucking lot of good reviews. Yeah. Damn. Show's on a roll. Damn. All right, Dave, anything else from you? No, I've discontinued bad review corner because I felt like it was encouraging bad reviews. (laughs) I got a couple. I'm like, let's not do this anymore. (laughs) I'm not spotlighting these assholes with the bad reviews. So especially, especially if it's going to, you know, hurt our ratings just because they're trying to fucking get themselves off. I terminated that segment. So nothing for me tonight. Thank Mm. you. Well, happy Jesus day, Dave. I will be celebrating Easter this weekend. Yeah. With some ham and some pasta salad. I will tell you, we were out at the store today getting uh, some Easter candy, and I turned the crosses upside down. It just <laughs> made me chuckle and to myself. I just want it to be known a 49-year-old man is in, in Walmart turning cro- candy upside down. So Ch- chocolate crosses. I'm like, hey, these, just, these are not right side up. Let's turn these upside down. And just chuckling to himself as he walks down the aisle. <laughs> Fucking flipping these crosses over. <laughs> I found it rather amusing. Some poor little grandma's going to be walking through that aisle trying to buy, you know, candy for her grandkids and is going to be appalled by what she sees. And that is what makes it funnier for Dave in the end. She'll you love. legit love you. Right. Or whoever stock does is going to get in trouble for that shit. Oh, <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, Stop man. Can you fire now because of that? That's true. If only they had cameras in that store where they could just watch and see who did it. And it's just Dave, like, flipping them with also his middle finger behind his back at the camera. Like, yeah, I know you're watching. Fuck you. What are you going to do? Like, I'm buying my candy because fucking capitalism, you exist. Okay, happy Easter. Bye. You guys ready for a cool down beer? (laughs) Cheers.